This is a Chronicle podcast, bringing you ideas in the service of medicine. From the Chronicle podcast system, this is the NPC podcast of the National Pharmaceutical Congress for October 12th, 2022. The NPC podcast was created to discuss and consider the purpose, process, and people of the pharma industry during the COVID era. We'll continue the healthcare conversation by answering questions sent by listeners just like you. This program is presented in cooperation with Imprez, Canada's next generation commercial partner. The industry is rapidly evolving and Imprez is designed to help you evolve with it. Learn more about Imprez's tailored best-in-class solutions at www.imprez.com. Our guest today is Dr. Greg Patey, CEO of Blue Charm Adherence, Inc. Greg will join your hosts, Jim, Mark, and Mitch. To start today's conversation, here's Mitch Shannon, the CEO of Chronicle Companies. Welcome to the NPC podcast from the National Pharmaceutical Congress. I'm your co-host, Mitch Shannon, coming to you again from our historic podcast, Gondola, perched high above center ice. With us, as always, is one James Shea, General Manager of the Council for Continuing Pharmaceutical Education in Montreal. Jim, any vacation time in this summer? I mean, I'm on vacation right now, but yeah, I've decided to come into the gondola because as you know, we've been doing the renovations and I really like it in here. There's a lot more elbow room. So great. I'm ready to go. Yeah, we've got our framed picture of Foster Hewitt and also a framed picture of Bill Hewitt. And I think that covers most of the main Hewitts. <laughs> the Hewitts. Also crammed into the gondola with us among the Hewitts is Mr. Mark McElwain, the pharma industry consultant and health policy expert. Mark, is it true that you're abandoning your part-time base of operations in colorful Sudbury, Ontario? Yes, all good things must come to an end and we're back to Toronto and cottage country. You know, Sudbury was good. We enjoyed it. But truth be told, we were there for two years for COVID lockdowns, more or less. So I didn't really get the full Sudbury Saturday night experience. I found a nickel. I found a nickel <laughs> on, on the pathway down to the cottage the other day. So I was thinking of you. Was it a big one? Yeah, I hate to tell you, you can't buy anything with a nickel now. No, probably not. So collectively, we are your faithful podcast hosts known as Jim, Mark, and Mitch, because all the really creative names were already taken, such as Lil Nas X, or Lil Peep, or Lil Wayne, or any of the other Lils, of which there are many. Guys, our guest today is far from Lil. He's been a big presence in the world of health IT for a couple of decades now. And I'm pleased to reconnect with a longtime friend of the National Pharma Congress, Greg Patey. Hi there, Greg. Hey, nice to be here. Nice to see you, Mitch. So, Greg, you were a co-founder of STI Technologies, a brand name in Canadian health IT, one of the early success stories in the tech sector in Atlantic Canada. In fact, you had a remarkable 16-year run with STI, which is now part of IQVIA. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about that experience and what it's like being a successful entrepreneur in that space? Yeah, well, first of all, wow. I guess the first thing I think about is don't blink, you know, because 16 or 17 years will go by very quickly. In fact, when we got involved with that, we thought it'd maybe be in and out with a great idea in maybe five years. And of course, 16, 17 years go by. And I was the first founder out, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Bill Adams and Paul Tobin two great minds that actually were co-founders in that particular company, but they remained on even for a couple of years after that, you know? So, but I think the experience was incredible. You really got to dig deep when you actually become an entrepreneur. 
And I guess I tell many people that the thing that came out of it for me was that I learned how to dance. What I mean by that is that you get in with an idea and all of a sudden you're confronted with potential great clients who love what it is, may not buy what you're selling essentially. So you have to shift a little bit, you have to dance. And, and sometimes that for some organizations that may create a pivot, a full pivot and so on and so forth. When we started that particular company, it was just simple samples, essentially, if you will, and regulations around that. And a couple of years in, we felt we weren't getting the traction on that great story and all the research we had done. So we actually started to pivot in terms of actually data. So same product, I guess, if you will, but how data could actually play in knowledge around who's using you know, your samples and your copay cards. And that's really when it started to take off. So you really have to learn how to dance when you're an entrepreneur. So it was quite the experience, but don't blink because it went for about five years and certainly great times. Well, it's Jim here. You do do over to being the CEO of Blue Charm Adherence Inc. Could you tell our listeners around the world a little bit more about what the company is and its current vision? Yeah. So once I finished my tenure with SDI, I thought I was retired. So I finished up a business degree that I was doing there at the doctorate level. And oddly enough, the thesis is in and around medication adherence and specialty medicines. With that in mind, I was six months in retirement. I said, you know, there's so much in here that I think that I can do with this and create a new company and so on. So Blue Charm Adherence, essentially, it's a digital health company. And we provide solutions to the life science industries. Basically, what we do will help patients access medicines and other health care related services. We do this by creating a digital engagement platform, if you will, that provides content written at the patient level for patients to learn more about their treatment and disease. We can also provide and set up reminders for the patient that they set up, all in a world that actually they are rewarded for the behavior that they have and an engagement within the platform. So I think it's the first of its kind of a platform in Canada where we actually utilize behavior modification gamification, if you will, to garner the attention of patients and to adhere to the perspectives of what they've been already instructed to do. So that's what we were doing. We launched in 2018. It took about a year or so to build up some ideas because when you look at concepts within adherence, if you will, the World Health Organization will focus on five categorizations. There are about 200 variables that have been studied and so on. So you really can't do everything. You have to kind of pick something. So we picked concepts of health literacy with patients as the number one place that we'll go with that. We work closely with disease associations that provide content in that forum. So the first set of the blocks is MS. So we have partnerships with the MS Society of Canada and partnerships with GI Society, the National Lung Association, and also Canadian Pharmacy Association. At this point, many of these organizations have great content that you can actually take and create learning modules around, create quizzes, surveys, and so on and so forth. And really take it to another level from the patient engagement point of view. So that's what we started out with. Now, I should mention that as we go down into the fall here, what we've learned from our clients is the importance of actually other kinds of digital health solutions that are out there, like my old job, I guess, card-based programs. So there's so much data that comes out of that in terms of prescription claims data. So we're actually going to launch what we call Blue Charm Assist. So we're going to go into the card business. And we'll access claims data within that. And overall, we'll get to a level, hopefully, that will have much better data intelligence, hence Blue Charm Intelligence. So that's basically where we're going to go with the organization as a vision as it stands today. Sounds amazing because 
even as a rep with Merck back in the late 80s, early 90s, I was amazed by our success, even when you think about it. And I was selling antihypertensive drugs that were lifelong drugs. And we took a look at the data on adherence. It was appalling. You know, 50% of the people were off their drug within a year. So it goes to show you that when we were growing cholesterol markets and various markets at an amazing rate, it was even better than what the data was showing because so many people were coming off. So yeah, adherence is always something that I was truly, I thought was of amazing importance in the industry, but was something that wasn't really looked at too much. And as a product manager, I, I tried to get adherence programs in for COZAR for something I was doing. And it's so critical for both the industry and more importantly, for the patient. So I love these ideas that you guys are coming up with and creating those opportunities. I'll give you a stat on something like this, Jim, if you don't mind, because this is mind-blowing to me. And I dabbled in terms of the theses maybe five years. I read everything that moved in concepts of adherence, you know, that's out there in academia. 50% of patients in Canada that have cancer don't have at least 80% of their medication in their possession. And these are very quantifiable numbers. I mean, these are prescription claims data. So you know exactly to the prescription what's going on. And we'd actually know this information right down to an FSA level. So we know what's in our community. So you can actually look at data just in patients that you know have cancer in Canada. So we have great clinicians. I know the wait lists are terrible now, but we make the assumption that all's good when they go home. But half the time, a patient with cancer does not adhere to the instructions that they were provided. It's crazy. Well thought, you know. Oh, even as a marketing guy, I was looking at data adherence and concordance data out of the various provinces that were providing good information. And we actually partnered also with Tom Brogan at the time. And we were looking at individual numbers and individual mass patients, actually. We didn't know who they were, the, the numbers were mass. And we're just finding this data and just shaking our heads going, oh my God, the industry's working hard to get everybody treated. And then the patients are falling off. And we got to a point where we were even going to publish some data on it, but it was so difficult to actually clean the data up. We saw the trending and everything, but then in the end, we decided not to publish, but it was just ridiculous and it was mind-blowing. Yeah. Here's my next question to you. You know, you got all these great ideas and certainly STI and Blue Charm are rooted out in the East Coast and you don't really think about the East Coast and Atlanta, Canada as being the place for IT startups, but you're doing it. So what's the Atlanta, Canada region have to offer healthcare in IT space? Well, if you think about my past life, STI Technologies, I would go out on a limb and say that at the time, STI Technologies was probably the largest provider of services to our industry, our firm industry in the cities of Toronto, Montreal. We were based in Halifax. Now, at the time, we spent a lot of time on planes, trains, and automobiles, right? So every week, you know, five, six days, back and forth, back and forth for years and years, and that was the way it was. Today is a little different, you know, with the concepts of virtual technology and so on, you know, you can kind of go for that. Now, I guess the answer to the question specifically, you know, we may not necessarily have distinctive healthcare competencies in Atlanta, Canada, but what it does, I think, is provide, you know, more bandwidth in terms of those that can play into that and be experts in their own field and be based right here. You mentioned before we went on air here, I was in Newfoundland at my camp in northern Newfoundland, for example. I mean, you could literally start uh, an IT company in River Ponds, Newfoundland, and go global. 
you need an internet connection. So I think it, it offers up talent, if nothing else. Absolutely. Talent that historically may not have wanted to live in Toronto and move to Toronto with their families and so on. In fact, in my past, like again, we had several great individuals that actually moved back from Toronto and Montreal into Halifax to work with STI Technologies back in the day. So proud East Coasters, you know, we can live and we can work here. Yep. You can stay home and you can still lead the world. Super. Mark here. So the big boys in IT, and I'm talking about Google, Apple, Meta, and particularly Amazon, they're staking out healthcare and pharma for an expansion coming soon. Do you regard these companies as threats to blue charm, potential allies, or possibly both? Well, organizations, whether they're big or small, are going to have their advantages and disadvantages, I think. You know, I certainly don't see it as a threat to a blue charm. I think big companies like that are needed because they bring interest, heavy amounts of interest and heavy financing to that particular space. So from a commercial perspective, yeah, we're all there. We need to do that, you know, but there's going to be a lot of money piling in here. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, in terms of the way we do our business in our industry, because my opinion as an industry, we're fairly slow in terms of innovation on the sales and marketing side, really good on the clinical intervention side, of course, but we need to be. So companies like that may come in and offer digital health solutions and line pharmacy and do different things that actually make us think about how we do our own business in marketing and the sales side. From Lou Charm's perspective, we're small, we're agile, you know, we'll, we'll fit where we fit. And these companies need us as well. I guess it's like the big shark, you know, and, and you have those little fish that are swimming by the side of it. It's kind of a symbiotic relationship, you know, in terms of what we do. So small companies will figure really good things out. And then at some point in time, we'll have partnerships with the larger ones. So I don't see them as threat. I see them as a necessity going forward in terms of providing interest and the financial commercial aspects to what we do. So let's switch to talking about COVID again. How would you say Blue Charm adherence fared during the pandemic? Well, it was a tough situation for so much. I mean, from a patient perspective, it was tragic. You know, in so many companies, couldn't do business. From our perspective, it shone some light in terms of the importance of the patient-centric approach, you know. So it was a silver lining, I guess, in a way, in terms of our business. We were still building out the technology, and we started around the same time COVID hit. So, but we started, it took two years to build the technology. So that really didn't slow up. It was a sophisticated technology and that worked out. But the attention in terms of other services, once we started to kind of get better and, and folks were vaccinated and so on, the need for mobile applications and telehealth and other kinds of things virtually became apparent. So it's been good for us as a business. Would I trade it, of course, for the whole thing? No, but it's been good for us. Yeah. Well, sure. And in your opinion, what changes did the pandemic require in the sector that were for the better and likely here to stay? Well, it forced us to focus on patient-centric care. Just on the business side, if you think about it, I mean, we knew about things like Skype as an example before this, but all of a sudden we were kind of jolted and we're all, you know, at some point in time, very quickly on Friday nights with your friends and family on Zoom just to be social. You know, and all of a sudden you have these things that take place from a patient-centric approach. Historically, we had the traditional models when we'd go into the GP clinic, we'd see the clinician and you'd leave with some type of prescription or, or whatever. You know, nowadays, 
has taken a whole new level and we've been kind of pushed that way. And that's good. You know, it's evolved and we're going to need that as we go forward, of course. So I think that changes from the pandemic perspective that helped us enormously. We're chatting with Greg Patey, the founder of Halifax-based Blue Charm Adherence here on the NPC podcast. And Greg, just to follow up on Mark's question, how would you say the pandemic has affected patients living with chronic disease in terms of disease management? Well, that's a tough one, Mitch. I mean, we all see, I guess, in the media now in terms of huge wait list, uh, staff shortages, so on and so forth. So that is a tough thing just to even read about. If you think about just a wait list, and then all of a sudden, what terminology I've heard lately is this person's on a priority list in my own family, for example. So you think about that for a second. What does that really mean? But if we're on a wait list and we're getting into a system, all of a sudden you really can't get anywhere unless you're in a priority list. So at some point in time, everybody moves to a priority. So, you know, it's really detrimental to, to an individual and in disease progression. So it, it's a tough thing. Yeah, it's definitely a crossroads right now. We've had the Ontario Health Minister kind of hinting that private sector has a role to play in alleviating some of these blockages and challenges. But anyway, Jim, I think you had a question for Greg. Yeah, I have a couple of questions, actually. A year ago, Blue Charm started a new strategic collaboration with NKS Health, the specialty pharmacy service provider to aid people living with MS through digital health. Can you tell us more about the project? First things first, I mean, we're able to work with, you know, any patient support program in Canada, and we've talked to them all, essentially. So we're basically something that could complement the great services that they do. We're a digital health platform, and we can actually sort of what I would call just clip on. So there's options for that. With the NKS project, first of all, NKS are an incredible company. They're very agile innovation and technology in their DNA. They're very close to their core group of clinicians and physicians and pharmacists and so on. So I really like working with them because they're innovative. The specific project that we've actually been involved with was in MS and the MS clinics. So we've been on ad boards and so on and kind of working towards modeling out some digital health and and the solutions that we do based on feedback from the clinicians. And that was really driven by NKS Health and their expertise within MS, if you will. So right now we have three specific programs that we do with them in terms of disease modifying therapies, where an individual could come onto our platform, learn more about treatment and disease, get the reminders, uh, and so on. That particular program in terms of services that individual patients can garner based on their levels of engagement include physiotherapy, chiropractic care, mental health services, and so on. There's some great research out there, I should mention, based on that collaboration. The research in Canada shows that in MS, the concerns that individual patients have in terms of gaps in care are access to things like physio, like chiropractic care, and so on. So we have the ability to provide those services or funding for those services, if you will, based on individuals coming to the platform. So it's just another way for an individual patient to come in and access care. So I love working with NKS, a great company. Sounds amazing. Sounds amazing for sure. Okay, well, I lied. I probably have three questions. That's one. So this is where I start thinking about education and being in that milieu. And now you transitioned out of STI, as you said, and then you completed your PhD in business administration as a mature student. Congratulations on that, number one. So here's the two-part question. 
So how has higher education impacted the course of your career? Wow. Well, thanks for bringing that up. It's a wild road that one was. So previous to that, I actually did an executive MBA when I was with SGI Technology. So I was down this pathway, Jim, of like a practitioner, if you will. So that's really my interest was in and around education that could actually relay and your thinking day to day was in around the work that you were doing. So at the time with the executive MBA, I was with STI and then I finished that and then I retired at the same time, but I was on that treadmill. So I said, can you look for a program that could enhance my knowledge and so on? And it was just out of interest, but again, it was a practitioner's degree. The most important thing that I did there, of course, was a choice of theses in and around medication adherence, specialty medicine. So it did enhance my career because it actually gave me an opportunity, not only just out of personal interest to be more educated, but to give back. I think, you know, individuals, and this probably relates to so many people, when we get in our 40s and 50s, we have so much knowledge, so much to give. The traditional approach is that once you start moving towards when you're 65, I guess, you start thinking about retirement. I wasn't there yet. So I just felt that I've got knowledge. I complement that with some education and I can do more. And I'm excited about that. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. Your academic side brought you back to new ideas and a way to help. That's a great story. That's a great education story. So having said that, what would your advice be to us mid to late career executives, you know, interested in potentially going back to school and doing something? Of course, everybody's different, right? Individuals are all different and some just kind of want to sail off the sunset. But I mean, based on the levels of knowledge that we have in our 50s, go for it. Because that puts gas and and fuel to the fire. If you think about it, when you're in class, you can actually adapt and understand things relative to the world you live in. There was a number that was from the executive MBA that five years after you finished, you want to retain 3% of what you learned, right? I would theorize that as you're older, I think that number would be higher, actually. You're into it more. And you can, in your mind, at least become that practitioner of the application of what it is, you know? So the type of education that it was, Jim, was in and around action research, right? So you research something within the business, you'd identify the problems, you put forth solutions, you apply those solutions and you repeat the process. So it's formalized. And I know the way we run our businesses today, you know, that's the way we think. We just try and get better and better and so on. I like the question because there's a lot in here. I give an example on something that's really practical to our industry. I think we need to move towards. We talked about adherence before. We have knowledge right now in data in terms of understanding the adherence levels in Alberta, for example, in a particular medication, in a disease. We have that same data in Nova Scotia. So they could be different. Now, when you apply digital health solutions, for example, something like Blue Term does, and we're in front of patients. You can say, you know, have access to information and why or why you didn't take your medicine. So in Alberta, the variable or reason that they come back, it could be the top three, the top one, for example, could be, I could not afford my medicine. Couldn't get it. Nova Scotia, it may be something like forgetfulness. So all of a sudden you have data that you can work with in terms of action research. You can apply actionable items in different provinces and different tactics, if you will, to try and enhance those adherence rates. If they work, great, you move on. If not, then you repeat the process. You're trying to identify and you continue to work it. And I think it's so important right now for us to actually look at those kinds of things because the data exists. 
And we've worked so hard in our business to capture and garner the patient. We have them on our medicines and so on. And 50% of the time, they're not adherent. And I think that's the opportunity for industry. And I see you nodding there because, you know, you've been down this conversation before, right? There's so many reasons why we do it. There's a lot of work to be done there. The World Health Organization would put forth today still that this is the largest healthcare problem in the world, medication, non-adherence. And we all know this. We've worked with this. We've conversed about this. And we need to talk more about it and actually take action. Yeah, well, that's it. You're bringing up this firing in my mind. The synapse is related from knowledge to application. Well, in your case, it's knowledge to application to knowledge to application again. So congrats on that. It's like a continuum. It is. (laughs) Let's leverage that. (laughs) Uh, But some continuums come to an end. And as we're winding down our podcast here, it's Mark again. We're inviting you, Greg, to play our word association game. So just go ahead and say the first thing that comes to mind in response to each of the following phrases or words. So are you ready? Okay, let's do it. Okay. Digital health. Accelerated. Critical component of our future care patients. Social impact. Affordability and accessibility of care. Pharmaceutical manufacturers. I like that one. Leading the charge for better patient outcomes. Innovation. Take a chance. It's essential to progress. Chronic diseases management. Be better with what we have now. I mentioned adherence as one example. Let's relook at that. Let's focus on that. That's a patient we have now, and, and let's, uh, let's do better for that patient. And finally, specialty medicines. I think we'd all agree on that one. That's the future of our industry in innovation and access. So we need to find better ways for these medicines to get to patients. Very good. Thanks very much. Well, you didn't know, but we were actually grading you on that and awarding points. So, you know. <laughs> Basically, you got a billion points for the answers, but then a billion points for uh, taking the chance and a few other things that were in there. So very good. Very good. Open door number two, Jim. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So finally, it's time to put on your soothsayer's hat and enter the prognostication corner, spelt with a K, because the keyboard that I have here up at the new cottage, the C isn't working very well. So I'm just going to go with that. So what bold predictions can you, with a K, make about the life sciences industry during the upcoming, say, 12 to 24 months? Let's think about that question. A bit of an oxymoron when you think about bold in 12 to 24 months. But, you know, in terms of some realities that could happen over the next couple of years, let's think about, you know, what's happened within uh, our core customer group. Uh, We've talked about the wait times, the shortage of staff and so on. So those particular pressures are going to change in terms of how our healthcare is offered. I think, you know, there's going to be some shifts that take place because we're pushed there and we'll do it right, I think. But, you know, pharmacists are going to have more things to do. Our nurses are going to have more things to do. So we'll evaluate those. It won't be old school thinking in terms of a physician's provincial license. Physicians may be able to practice on a national basis and so on based on virtual care. So we'll get that right within the next couple of years. and then. 
I guess the bold prediction is from a life sciences industry that we will have to adapt to that and we will adapt to that. I mean, we've seen some organizations that have pulled back in terms of their frontline GP reps moving towards, you know, our medical liaison reps and, and virtual meetings and so on. But I think importantly within that, we'll adapt as well in terms of digital health solutions. I think the demand will be there from our healthcare providers. Uh, intern or patients. And I've already seen that in terms of ad boards that I've been on, what they're asking for and so on. So I think we'll meet those challenges over the next couple of years. So a little bold because I, I know our industry, you know, we're not always quick moving and it takes time, but I think we can get there in a couple of years and we will. Well, Dr. Patey, this intersection of IT and health is, in my opinion, the most interesting place in the world right now. Consequently, we never want this conversation on this topic to end. But with that thought, please circle your calendar for November 2nd, when the life sciences industry will convene again at the 16th Annual National Pharma Congress. We look forward to continuing the conversation in person at the Mississauga Convention Center. There may be some craft beer involved in that as well. If you care to bring along some Kitty Vidiale or IPA. I'm in. All right. Thank you to our listeners for joining us and spending some time with us. We will speak to you all again next week. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Until next time. Do you have questions for Greg or comments for us about today's conversation? Go ahead and tag us on Twitter at 2021NPC or send an email to health at chronicle.org. If you attach a voice clip to the message, you might just hear yourself on an upcoming episode. We hope you enjoyed today's NPC podcast. If you did, please share it with your colleagues. Find us at Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The MPC Podcast is presented in cooperation with Impress, Canada's next-generation commercial partner. See everything they have to offer at www.imprez.com. As Leona is currently visiting her sister, I am your announcer and podcast producer, Jeremy Visser. Research for this program came from Cristela Tello Ruiz. The musical theme is performed with Wundekun Mastery by the NPC Podcast Orchestra under the direction of Maestro Rayla Milbrook. We'll be back again next week. Until we speak again, stay safe.